This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I've come to Zim today with a message for you. It's been on my heart for this uh, congregation and this nation for some time. You know something, I, I, I know that these are dark days, uh, not, not just in Zimbabwe, but in many places on the earth. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of tribulation. And I'll have to remind myself sometimes, as well as I know you do, the words of Jesus when he said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And one thing about darkness and one thing about difficulty is in the times of darkness, those that are carriers of light stand out better than they do at any other time. And I want you to know that in this nation today, although there are difficulties, as your day is, so shall your grace be. And we have to depend on that. It's amazing how when God challenges us that the Lord raises up something from inside of us that we're not even aware is there. That's just the way the, the grace of the Lord works. You don't need it until you need it. And so I want to talk to you today about a rather obscure passage of Scripture uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, I, I specifically felt the Lord direct me to do this some weeks ago, and so bear with me as I go through this today. Uh, it's a rather obscure passage, as I said. It's not one you hear all the time. Uh, but to me, it is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture because it speaks to each one of us. And uh, for a few moments this morning, I just want to sh share this story with you. This short account features the establishment of an amazing yet highly unlikely relationship between King David and a man no one in that day and time would have foreseen nor could have even imagined. In fact, the smart money would have bet that only one of them would have survived their first encounter. Yet for all its potential for disaster, this brief story shouts ma several major themes of the kingdom of God and calls every believer to claim their place at the table. When I entitle this message, A Seat at the Table, uh, that, that phrase in America at least means a place where you are sitting with the authorities. A place where you are a player, if you can say it that way, in the, in the events at hand. When you have a seat at the table, you have a voice. When you have a seat at the table, you have a responsibility. When you have a seat at the table, there is authority behind that seat. And I want you to understand today that the Lord is calling forth a people to take authority where they are. It's hard for us to imagine that God would ever ask that of us. But let me just tell you, his plan to redeem planet earth unto himself has only one plan. And that plan is to use the body of Christ to reveal himself to the world. That means every one of us. How many of you are members of the body of Christ today? Let me just see your hands. Let me tell you, you have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. The Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, dwells within you. He is not a junior Holy Spirit. He's the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. 
the exact same one is living inside of you. And he intends to raise up those things which have become dormant, those things which have become weakened, those things which have become overwhelmed in you. He wants to raise those things up and cause you to shine his lights in a dark, dark place. Now, this individual today that I want to share with you, his name is Mephibosheth. And for years I've told everybody, hey, if you have a child and you're looking for an unusual name, try that one. I don't think there'll be any confusion in school when the teacher calls on them. Now, I shouldn't probably say that here in Zimbabwe because you guys have the coolest names of anybody I know. I've met Blessing. I have met Innocent. I've met all, met all kind of people with these amazing Bible names. We don't give those names in America. I don't know why not. They're great names. But in order for us to kind of get the concept of this whole story today, the main figures in this story are Jonathan, uh, which was King Saul's son. Jonathan would have been the heir apparent to a regime that was about to end. Jonathan was an amazing man. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth literally means scatterer of, of shame, scatterer of shame. It means dispeller of shame. And I, I wondered at the time when I first read this, why on earth would Jonathan and his wife name this boy Mephibosheth? But in Bible times, it was amazing how the names of individuals indicated what they would do with their life. And so young Mephibosheth was born. About that same time, probably around that same era, uh, Jonathan met a young man named David, and he met him in the most unusual of ways. David was a shepherd boy. But David had been anointed by God, and he came to the battlefront one day when the Philistines were raised up against Israel again. And in this particular encounter, Goliath, this nine-foot-tall giant of the Philistines, had been put forward by the armies to fight the champion of Israel. And the way they did it back in the day, instead of engaging the whole army, they would send a champion forth, and that man would fight somebody from the other side, and whoever won that battle then would have won the war. And one army would serve the other from that point on. And so Goliath was this massive man, and he was, he was formidable in every way, a man of war from his youth. David, on the other hand, was a young kid about 16, 17 years of age, and his only claim to fame was that of being a shepherd boy. And that wasn't a great profession. That was usually the first job a person got in the household of their family. And he was out in the, in the wilds and taking care of someone else's sheep one day when a bear came. And David took that bear and killed it because he was threatening the sheep. Now that is a formidable task in and of itself. A bear is so strong that they can slap your head right off your shoulders with one paw strike. And a lion, we all know the power of a lion. There's no animal I've ever encountered that had more muscle per pound than a, than a lion. They're amazingly heavy, amazingly dense, and amazingly strong. And yet David killed one of those too. Why? He put his life on the line for some sheep. It was prophetic of what he was about to do. He came to the battle that day and had no encouragement from his brothers. 
They thought he was arrogant. He said, why is this uncircumcised Philistine challenging the armies of God? His motive was right. I think you and I need to pick up on that sometimes. Why are we bowing the knee to this enemy of ours when our cause is so great? And when our God is so mighty? And when he's invested so much of himself in us? Why do we bow the knee so often, so automatically? And David looked at that giant and he says, you're you're amazing. You're incredible. You come to me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. So that, that giant had a spearhead that weighed something like 19 pounds. Can you imagine being able to throw a spear like that? This man was huge. He was covered from head to toe in armor, except for one spot, right here. And David said, that's enough for me. And he not only went to battle, he ran to the battle. He picked up five smooth stones when he only needed one. But five in the Bible is a number of grace. Grace is enough. And he slung that stone, and as you know the story, it buried itself in that one vulnerable place in the enemy. He fell down. David took his head from his shoulders, and he became a hero overnight. That day, Jonathan's heart was warmed toward this young man. In fact, it wasn't very long before Jonathan said to him one day, listen, when you come to power, in fact, he gave him the tokens of his own sonship, and he says, when you come to power, only remember my family to do kindness to them. David didn't know, and Jonathan probably didn't know at that time, but it wouldn't be long before Jonathan and Saul would fall in battle one horrible day. David was left. That day back where Jonathan lived, young Mephibosheth was being cared for by the nurse. When the horrible news came, that Saul and Jonathan had died in battle and Israel was running from the enemy. The nurse picked up little Mephibosheth and ran in the panic of the moment. And somehow she fell or fell on him. It's not clear exactly how that happened. But the little boy's bones were broken in his ankles and his, and his lower leg and his, and his feet uh, because the, they must have healed in a bad way. They were healed in such a way that he could never walk again. He was lame in both feet. Now, in our day and time, maybe that could be corrected by surgery, but the problem was there was no way to correct this. This little boy went from being an heir apparent to the king at some point in time to being lame in both feet, which meant his future now was defined by his ability to beg. The fall has hurt him, him as well as us. Let me just say, we were not created to be the way we are today. We were created in the image of God. We still bear it. Just like little Mephibosheth looked like Jonathan, who in turn looked like Saul. He carries something down the line, but now he is incapacitated. He is determined by his future of begging, of depending on others to take him places, and depending on others to, to help him in every aspect of his life. 
where he was an owner of so much before. As an infant, he was wealthier than nine out of ten people in his country. Folks, it's a beautiful picture of what's happened to us. The fall of man has caused us to be impoverished in so many ways that we can't possibly understand what it would have been like if sin had never occurred. We've been made lame, as it were. And we find ourselves, who were made to be heirs of the king, now literally living lives well beneath our privilege. This boy had to be spirited away from the area. Scripture tells us that in, uh, in verse number 2 here, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. They called him to David. David was asking questions about Saul's family. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, I'm at your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, yet there is still a son, Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. The thing I got from this, first of all, was the fact that this young man was not identified by who he was, but what was wrong with him. So many of us carry that same kind of situation. We may call ourselves by a name, but that name is associated with our main weakness. Anybody here have a family that won't let you forget your stupidity when you were young? There's a whole lot about this situation right here that I would like to address today. I don't have a lot of time for this, but let me just say, be careful what name you allow to be associated with your person. Be careful. Be careful. God didn't call you to be lame. God didn't call you to be a failure. God didn't call you to be unfaithful. God didn't call you to be an alcoholic. God didn't call you to be a drug addict. God didn't call you to be a sex addict. God didn't call you to many of the things that we've become identified with through our failures. Be very careful that you adopt the mentality, well, that's just who I am. This is not just who you are. It takes God to deliver us from that. But the, the thing I want you to get here at this point is that David remembered his covenant. David in this story is very much like the father who makes the covenant with us by virtue of a dying son. That covenant he remembers. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. And David is remembering the covenant he made with his friend Jonathan, who he misses. And he's thinking, who can I give the blessing to that I pledged to my friend in that covenant that we made? Somebody says, yeah, Mephibosheth lives down in Lodebar. Lodebar is not a place you'd want to live. Lodebar literally means a pastureless place. In an agrarian society where you raise livestock, you don't want to be in a pastureless place. Another context of that particular name is a nothing, a nothing. Many in this country right now may feel like you're living in a place that has no pasture. 
It has no means of sustenance. It has, it's a nothing place. I'm here to declare to you today, it is not a nothing place. A king's child is living there. A king's child is living there. And God has not forgotten his kids. And he wants to call us out of Lodebar. You may live here the rest of your life, but you don't have to live with that nomenclature that is a nowhere place. I still believe there are promises over Zimbabwe that have not yet been fulfilled. I know Pastor Tom is carrying one deep in his spirit. We talk about it all the time. It's hard to know when it can change. It's hard to know what's going to be the change agent. But let me just tell you this. In the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this Lodebar season, King Jesus has not forgotten. He's still on his throne. He still remembers his covenant. Don't give up. I'm glad you're having seminars and, and talks and discussions about alternate means of finance. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I think we need to determine how God wants us to butcher a few of them. How many of you know what I'm saying? But anyway, back to the story. King David had few enemies at this point in time who had any right to the throne. The only person left that should have had access to the throne would have been Mephibosheth. The only remaining heir. The customs of the times would dictate that a king being raised up from a non-kingly a non family would then have to go back and destroy the rest of his enemies in that previous king's family. Mephibosheth probably knew this. Makir, the man that took care of him, probably kept him, uh, kept him away from the, the major population area so no one would know where he was, so they couldn't come looking for him to destroy his life. But David found out. And David called for him. And David sent someone to bring him. What I want to say to you today is that when the Lord begins to seek us out, he has a messenger that comes. And that messenger is the Holy Spirit of God. No man can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. And the Holy Spirit is reaching out to those of us that are, that are living in Lodebar. He's reaching out to those of us that are living in a nothing place, in a nowhere time, in a hopeless situation. The Holy Spirit is coming to us because our covenant-keeping God cannot forget you. And he came, and I know initially when this man came that... Mephibosheth must have been frightened out of his mind. He had no reason to suspect that the king would have an interest in him unless it was to destroy him. But he asked him to come. Mephibosheth came. And I might add that he couldn't come on his own. Someone had to carry him. Someone had to motivate, had to be motivated to do that for him. And, and this man was. And he came into David's presence now, look at verse 6 here. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he fell on his face, he prostrated himself, and then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear. How many times in the Bible when deity encounters humanity, whether it be angelic 
or whether it is a, a, a manifestation of God himself, how many times does he say, fear not? It's normal for us to have godly fear. It's normal for us to come before someone who is perfect and great and awesome and mighty beyond comprehension and have a sort of fear in us that we're not worthy to be there. But notice how often God says, don't fear. Don't fear. He knows his motivation in coming to us. He says, don't fear. Some of us are so afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the kind of fear that shrinks back from God. It's the kind of fear that is in awe of him. Understand that that's, that's healthy. The other one is not. But he comes and says, here's your servant. David said to him, do not fear. I will surely show you, the ki- show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat at my table continually. This is the ultimate rags to riches story. I'm going to restore everything taken away from you in the fall. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look on such a dead dog as I? In that day, dogs were not pets. Dogs were pests. They walked, they walked through the town taking every scrap and, and they were vicious. They were, they were not something cuddly. And Mephibosheth says, I'm not just a dog, I'm a dead dog. You don't get much lower than a dead dog. And so he, he sees himself that way and, he, and he's letting David know, I'm, I'm, I'm no danger to you, David. I, I, I'm, I'm nothing. He's, he's, he's become so broken. He's, he's got a man with a crushed spirit. Everything has been taken from him. He's lost his family. He's lost his fortune. He's lost his future. And now he can't even walk. He's by now 20 or 25 years old. It's taken David a while to accumulate the kingdom power that he finally got when he was king of Israel. And he comes to this man who is the greatest man in his nation. And he bows before him feeling so unworthy and so hopeless and and so scared at the same time. And David says, I've given everything back that you lost in the fall. He calls the king's, uh, he calls Ziba the servant who had been Saul's servant. And he says, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons become his servants. You raise to him the harvest and so forth and so on. But he said, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. This was amazing. Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord my king has commanded, your servant will do. And the king said, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Folks, this is remarkable. So as remarkable as what Jesus said later on in John 15 to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And that term friends wasn't just buddies. You may have a Jesus that's a buddy, but let me tell you something. He's more than that. When this term was used, the king's friends... 
the king's friends was what Jesus used. And the king's friends was a, a phrase that everybody in that day and time understood because the king had a certain cluster of people in his world that could come to him 24-7 that were called the king's friends. They could come unannounced. They could come without agenda. They could come with agenda. They didn't have to be announced by servants. They didn't have to be announced by anybody. They could appear before the king 24-7. Whereas other people coming before the king would have to have an appointment, they would have to be requested, and often if they came in unannounced, they would be killed. And he cuts right through all of that. He says, this one, this Mephibosheth, everybody would say is worthless, somebody that can't even ever become a priest, can't ever be recognized in society because of his deformities. This one here is going to be sitting at the king's table this one here is going to be eating like one of the king's sons? Are you serious with me? Because the king's table was not just a place where you had dinner. The king's table was a place where you discussed and implemented policy. It was a place where you became a leader. You came there accepted by the king and your opinion mattered. Your, your contribution was something the king was counting upon. And he called this man with no experience, with no status, somebody that was disabled in a very significant way. It would never be seen around a king. They would never have disabled people around them. Only the best and the most beautiful. But here he sat, by no virtue of his own, by no, no thing he'd ever done. He had never accomplished anything. And now... By virtue of the king's grace and because of a covenant with a son who had died, he is now invited to sit at the most honored seat in the nation. Wow. I just, I, I marvel at that. But that is a beautiful picture. In Bible college, I had a professor that explained it so well. He said the Old Testament is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. Right here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see the picture of the gospel in action. The gospel that says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the gospel that tells us that we are king's children. This is the gospel that Paul expounded upon later on in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love by where which he has loved us even when we are dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in the face of Jesus Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that word workmanship there. That means his poetry. His poetry. That means something produced by an artisan. Please hear me. Please hear me on this. 
There has never been a born-again child of God who was not a work of art. There has never been a child of God invested in the Holy Spirit who does not have a gift that the world needs. This is one of the greatest secrets of the gospel. If we could ever, just think about this for a moment. If what I've just said is true, that the Lord has invested a gift in you by the Holy Spirit. Think about this. If every one of us in this room this morning and every one of us in celebration churches worldwide would say, I can no longer hide my light. I can no longer keep my gift to myself. I can no longer just exist hoping I make it to heaven. I am going to take my gift and I'm going to invest it. Oh, oh, folks, I need your gift. You need my gift. We don't need to be jealous of each other's gifts because we are in the body of Christ. Your foot is never jealous of your hand. What would you do without either one? And yet, honestly, by and large, the church of Jesus Christ is still living down in Lodibar. We're still crippling around, having, having to have somebody bear us along because we, we can't function. We're waiting for someone to come. But he has come. He's come and said, listen, come out of that place. You're a king's child. A dying son made a covenant with me. And I want to empower that covenant today. I want you to walk into my presence. You know what I love about this? When you're seated at the king's table, nobody has any idea that you have lame feet. They can't see them. There's something about that king's table which elevates you above any problem you had prior to being seated. Huh? I, I mean, think about it. Your past. I heard somebody say one time, that's why they call it your past. Because it's past. Your future is in your relation and your proximity to the covenant keeper. The one that's called you out of darkness into his glorious light. The one that said, I make all things new. If any man's in Christ Jesus, he's a brand new creature. Wow. Don't, don't, don't be walking around saying, well, just the way I am. Harking back to the days when you were this or that or the other thing before you knew Jesus Christ and what your family says you are, people in this room. I'm sure there's thousands of people that you know that have been told you will never amount to anything. The culture is telling you you will never amount to anything. The culture is telling this country you will never amount to anything. But there's something about becoming a brand new creature. A brand new creature has a brand new culture. And what is our culture? Our culture is let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this earth just like it is in heaven. 
Is that too big a stretch for us? Is it too big a stretch to believe that God could take me and you who cannot do much, who do not have any special uh, gift, I guess you might say. We don't, we don't have maybe the charisma that we'd like to have. We don't have the fame we'd like to have. We don't have the power we'd like to have. We don't have the funds we'd like to have. Is it just possible? God's saying, you know, I enjoy taking people who don't have much to offer in the natural and pouring myself into them. I preached here one time years ago about having this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. God doesn't call many mighty. He doesn't call many noble. He calls just normal, broken, Mephibosheths, just like you and me. Let me just say to you today, the enemy does not want you to believe this. He wants you to believe life is always going to be just like it's been. He wants you to believe that those natural things that came down through your natural family tree are going to dictate to you. Your DNA is there. You can't beat your DNA. I'm here to declare to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your DNA is not a hindrance to God's. You have a lot of faith in your own personal DNA in the flesh, but let me tell you, I've got much more faith in the DNA of the Holy Spirit because he's coming to make you look just like your father. When we understand that, we get dangerous. When we understand that, when we lay hands on the sick, we believe that we are an emissary of the kingdom of God which cannot be stopped. Believe that if quenched, it cannot be destroyed by whatever's in front of us. We believe that if God's calling, there is a way. When God speaks, it is going to happen. We believe that if we obey, he is going to take care of his promise in us. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody here today. But I have a sense I am. I guess the question in my heart today is, is there anybody here today to whom the Lord can show kindness? Is there anybody here today that could benefit from the covenant with a dead son? I wonder if the voice of the Lord is going out in this room today or wherever this media is shown. I just wonder today if the voice of the Holy Spirit is calling people out of Lodibar. You know, the favor and the position of God overshadows every result of the fall. And as I think about the, the scene around the table every day, I remind, reminded of a, of a story that happened in our own lives. And uh, my best friend for many, many years uh, was killed in a plane crash. And his family moved to our city uh, just shortly after that. And I had his eldest son over to uh, watch a basketball game with me one day. And I, I was sitting there. We were having the discussion. We were rooting the team on. We were talking about... Uh, strategy and about basketball in general and and as I talked to his eldest son 
I just had a flashback of, of his dad, Mephibosheth. And I wondered as David sat around that table day after day and as Mephibosheth came to the age that Jonathan was when he died, if, if David had much the same emotion that I had, just hit me all of a sudden, that's, that's my buddy Gary. It's just, it's just the same. His comments were the same. His thoughts about the game were the same. Our, our, our interplay about, the, the, about what was going on on the basketball floor was the same. It was almost as if I was sitting there talking to Gary instead of Denny. You know what? I believe that we not only have an inheritance because we're king's kids, I believe his likeness grows as we grow with him. It's not enough just to go to heaven, folks. That's taken care of when we come to know Jesus. But God's desire is that as things go on, that we have interface with him. That he can put challenges in front of us and, and we'll respond like his son did. I, I really believe that. If I could, if I had five or six hours this morning, which Pastor Tom told me I could go ahead and take five or six hours. Is that all right? You don't have anything to do today, do you? But, but if, if I could tell you testimonies of things just in my own life that where it was just a simple thing the Lord said, just a moment around the table with him when he asked me to do this or asked me to do that or directed me in this direction or that direction. I can't even, I don't even want to think about what I would have missed if I hadn't said yes. If I hadn't, even though I don't feel I'm qualified for much of any of this, if I had just not said yes, what I would have missed. The joy that I've had in, in knowing your congregation and knowing your pastor and his family over these many years now started in one moment like that. We just finished pastor's conferences in Ethiopia and, and, and Uganda, and I was heading to Israel to visit one of our missionaries. And somebody mentioned Tom Deschel and, and Zimbabwe. Now, I didn't know much about either one. I didn't know anything about there tonight. And while I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're going there tonight. I was heading to the airport. And I, I said, whoa, that's, that's going to cost me a fortune to change that ticket. And I called my travel agent, and she said, well, that's going to cost a fortune to change that ticket. Here's my confirmation. But she called me back in five minutes and said, I can't believe it. You're going to get $600 back. So we went to the airport, changed the tickets, got on a flight, had to spend half a night in, in some place in the Nairobi airport, which but it was as close to hell as I ever want to get. <laughs> and uh, we got on another flight to Lusaka and then came here about 3.30 in the afternoon. And I literally felt like I'd come home. I'm not kidding. It was amazing. It just, I just felt like I've, I've met my family. I've met some family that I didn't know I had. This is just one of those moments when I want you to understand that, that God's, word to you is not a suggestion you might want to consider. 
It's an invitation to your destiny. Everything in my life that matters to me today came just like that. It is an amazing thing. God invites you beyond yourself. Invites you into a place that only he understands. And as you walk with him in that place, he begins to, to have interface with you and, and, and lead you and guide you in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it's the most wonderful thing in the world. As I, as I see Mephibosheth sitting at the table with David and his other advisors day by day, he became a valued advisor himself. He stepped out of his, his past into his destiny. We wouldn't know his name today if he'd stayed in Lodebar. His story wouldn't help us today because he shrank back into his comfort zone. How many of you know you can get really, really comfortable in the uncomfortable? I can't tell you how many abused women I have talked to that wouldn't step out of the place that they were in because it was at least security of some sort. I can't tell you how many people have settled for same old, same old when God was inviting them in, into an adventure with him that only he could cause to happen. It is amazing. My heart is drawn out to you today to say to you, please do not settle in Lodebar. The king's table is open. There's a chair with your name on it. I wonder, is there anybody here today I wonder if there's just one here today. Is there, is there, is there a, a child of a son that died? Is there a person who hears a call from a king that they can't imagine would even know their name? Is there someone here today who's sick of Lodibar? Is there someone here today who feels like there's a destiny out there for you somewhere and you're just looking to step into it. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. I want to close with verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table continually, and he was lame in both feet. The amazing thing at the end of this story, when the rags to riches has been completed, and now he's a permanent fixture at the king's table, there's still something that reminds him that he's not there on his own accord. There's still something that reminds him that he's not worthy of the position he's been given. That every day he sits at the table, he, he's reminded by the fact that someone had to carry him there. Let me just tell you, there's some things about our personal weaknesses and personal inabilities that God may leave just to keep us in a clear understanding of why we have the status we do. This morning, if you're one of those people I'm referring to that is willing to respond to the covenant of a dying son, I'd like you to come here. Whether you've known Jesus for many years or whether you don't know him at all today, I would like to invite you to come today. 
I would like to invite you today to heed the voice of the king and come stand around this altar today, just for a few moments. If you're in need today and, and you're not sure you can make that trip, would you just reach over and take the hand of the person beside you? Say, would you come with me? Would you come with me? Would you stand with me today? I believe I'm made for better things than this. I don't think this is my destiny. I don't want to stay in this place. I hear the voice of the king, and I want to respond. Just come on. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. You know what I, I see? I see a lot of folks here that are carriers. Carriers. You have some things you don't know you have. The Spirit of God inside of you said, I, I want to use you. And what God probably isn't doing is just taking what you already have and tweaking it a little bit. He's actually pouring out something. Mephibosheth didn't know he had any counsel in him until he sat at the king's table. He didn't know he had any worth until somebody from on high invested in him. He didn't know he could do what he was called to do. I have to admit, I still don't know how in the world the Lord ever uses me. I just don't understand why he'd pick me. Am I among friends? That doesn't stop God. It's not a hindrance to him. He made creation out of thin air. He spoke it. And God is speaking over you today. God's words are investing today. God's words are clarifying today. God's words are creating today. He's still a creative God. He's not limited by what is. He likes to take what is not and make it. He's the God that speaks that way. Would you just lift your hands to him, everybody? Round the congregation. Father, today we respond to you. It's your call. It's your Holy Spirit that's born us to here. We didn't get here on our own. We stand and we sit in your presence today, God, because you want us there. And we've come because you have a destiny in mind. We've come today hungry. We've come today to be filled. We've come today to be healed. We've come today to be restored. And I pray in the name of Jesus right now that restoration would sweep across this place. That broken hearts and crushed hopes would be restored that bodies would be healed, that demons would flee, that the voice of the devil would become silent before your voice, God. I pray that you would invest strength and power and wisdom and grace all around this place today. Turn us upside down. Turn us inside out, God. Heal us from our suppositions. Let us know that our lame feet are no hindrance to the call of your grace and the throne of God. So, Lord, today we pray, invest yourself in us. Pour into us just a little, and we'll pour it back out. Let me just say, we're not just to be receptacles. We're to be conduits. 
what God is pouring in, you must pour out. Pour out what He's poured in so that He can pour in some more. Jesus, I pray that you turn the lights on for folks here. I pray that those dark places that they've hardly been able to see their way through would suddenly become clear. I pray those that are carrying loads of sin and guilt today would have met the dispeller of shame, the one that comes to say, your shame doesn't matter. What they said about you does not matter. It's what I say about you that counts. What has been loaded on your shoulders, what has been loaded into your heart, what has been seeping into your mind all these years makes no difference to me. I'm the God that calls all things new. I'm the God that gives you your name. I'm the God that ordains your destiny. And I'm the God that makes it happen. So Father, we just received today. We don't know how, we don't know when. All we know is we're here at your table right now. And we're saying, do unto me according to your word. Let it be so, God. Let it be so, God. Just as Mary had no experience, she had no man, but she had you. And inside of you, her, you became amazing and you've changed everything. Let it be so with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.